You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. friends. I'm sure you can tell right away that this is not the typical Sunday recap sermon podcast that you are accustomed to listening to. And that's because for us at Oaks Church Brooklyn, this past Sunday was not a typical Sunday. It is what we refer to in our community as Pray Sundays. It's an acronym that stands for Pause, Rejoice, Ask, and Yield. This is language that we get from Pete Gregg, leader of 24-7 Prayer Movement, a movement of which we are uh, emerging as a community within. And so from time to time, we take time to suspend our normal liturgy and really try to put into practice what we want to be central of us, namely being people of prayer. And so we move through those acronyms as a way to give uh, some practice to our bones and to our bodies for the things that we want to be about. See, we don't just want to be uh, hearers of the word, but we also want to be doers of the word. And so what better time to do that is than when we're all gathered together. And so we do away with our normal liturgy, uh, though we love our typical rhythms. And we have a Sunday where we just practice these things together communally as one body. And so that's what happened this Sunday, but frankly, it wouldn't be that appeasing or appealing to listen to. And so I'm going to just share with you some of the movements that we walked through in the hopes that maybe you can engage them here and now for yourself or at your next quiet moment uh, alone. And hopefully they will serve to uh, meet you as they have met us as a community. As we wrap up our series, Deconstructing Renovation, which was a look at the process of renovation that Jesus embarks upon in each of us as we encounter incongruences in what we hope the world to be and what we have found it to be. And so with that in mind, we started with our pause. And in our pausing, we just center ourselves. So no matter where you are, if you're listening at home, maybe you're on the train, can you just take a moment and put both feet firmly on the ground, sit up straight, engage your body. And we're going to embark on some imaginative prayer. This is an ancient uh, practice from the early church where one engages the text not for information, but for formation. And we use our creativity and our imaginations. Oftentimes those things aren't allowed in church, but they used to be. Uh, And so what we do is we go into the text and we read it. We place ourselves within the scene of the gospel stories. We wander around. We examine the people and the places and the dialogue, what is said, what is left unsaid. We imagine what looks are transmitted without words. And then in this, we allow the Spirit to use our imaginations to speak to us, to 
point out and highlight things within the text that we might otherwise miss if we're just concerned simply about reading the words. Our text for this past Sunday came from John 21, 4 through 19, which says this. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you are younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. So the practice is this. When we come into the text to pause, and as we confront uh, questions in our life that cause us to want to rip up kind of the floor beneath us, where what we thought the world would be, what we thought uh, God was, is not who we see him to be, is not the world isn't as we imagined it. And that can cause a lot of conflicted beliefs that can lead us to a place of real trauma. And in that place, what can be a helpful practice is to go into the text and to allow ourselves to just be before Jesus, to, to allow the scriptures to speak to us. This is what we do in this text. See, we find the disciples right after a moment of deep disorientation for them. 
Jesus, who they had loved and followed for some three years, and they assumed to have a coming kingdom, finds the ushering of his kingdom to be not in a manner that they had ever expected. Instead of a triumphant entry into a throne, he goes on a cross and he dies. And afterwards, they just simply don't know what to do. So they head back to what they do know, which is fishing. And so these fishermen are out on a boat, struggling, and yet Jesus meets them, and he calls them out. And for Peter, this is a particular hard moment because it is in this moment that he has to face the thing that he has been dreading and possibly avoiding, that the last time he was bodily with Jesus, Jesus was left as he abandoned him, denied him three times. And so in that place, Peter carries some deep wounds. And so we listen and we watch as Peter gets out of the boat, enjoyed to see his Lord, and I'm sure in fear to see his Lord. And as you pause and as you maybe listen to those verses again or read them for yourself and imagine yourself within the scene, I would offer you to take a moment to write down what in your life has disoriented you? What has called you out of the boat? What has shaken up your world? What has caused you to maybe move towards deconstruction and a ripping up of everything you've known? It can be a good practice to write these things down so we don't avoid them, but we name them. And when we name things, we can face things. But how do we face things? Well, this is our next phase. Rejoice. See, there is this catalytic conversion that happens when we as the people of God enter into praise. When we meet God and we offer up our wailing and our praises and our joys and our tears, when we sing out and we give voicings to the things that are happening within us, we will find, as the scriptures say, that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And where he inhabits, he abides. And as John 15 tells us, when he abides with us, out of that comes much fruit. And so the challenge is simply this. After you've taken a moment to pause, what would it look like to just enter into a place of worship? And in that worship, express your full heart to God, letting the Spirit take you where it will. This is a lot like that renovation phase of grief that we've talked about some weeks ago. See, in grief, Jesus enters the trauma of our disoriented world and leads us through and in the pain down to the pit, to the base of that pain, where there is often a lie about himself or about ourselves. But it is that journey of grief, that sorrow, that serves to really be not a curse, but a comfort. When we find that when we don't run from the things that seemingly kill us, but we allow Jesus to lead us into them. He does so with a rod and a staff, as the psalmist says. 
He directs us, he guides us, he corrects us, and all of these can be a deep comfort. So would you take a moment, maybe put on your favorite worship tunes, and just go before the Lord in rejoicing, offering up your tears, offering up your joys, laying it all before him. There's a text in uh, Ezra chapter 3 where the foundations of the new temple that had once been destroyed before the people of Israel were scattered into captivity, when they come back, they lay the foundation, and Ezra says that uh, at, this, at the setting of the foundation, those who who were there for it begin to just to rise up in praise and adulation with joy before the Lord at the sight of this new thing, this hope of the temple being rebuilt. But then the older priests, the Levites, the family heads, those who had known the temple in its former glory, for them, this moment, sure, carried some joy, but mostly it carried the pain and the grief of the loss they had suffered. And so as Ezra writes in verse 13, no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. I think this is a beautiful picture of what it means to just worship for the Lord in our grief. He meets us there. But he doesn't leave us there. This leads us to our next phase, which is the ask phase of prayer. This is often what we think about when we talk about prayer. Giving to God our desires, our wants, our dreams, our hopes, our fears, talking to him and laying ourselves before him. And this is a good and really necessary thing. See, for Peter, as he's sitting on this beach, he is asked a question in this conversation with God. Peter, son of John, do you love me? Now, we know the context that Jesus is doing multiple things here. One, yes, he is reminding John, he's reminding Peter of his failure. But he's not reminding him out of retribution, of bitterness. He's not reminding him to hold it against him. He is reminding him of this worst moment in his life because he wants to redeem him. See, at the bottom of the grief, like we said, there is usually a lie about God or about ourselves. And for Peter, we can see that there is this lie about God, namely that Jesus wouldn't see him as a worthy follower anymore. That his abandonment had excluded him from being of service to Jesus. And then there's a lie about himself. That maybe he didn't actually love Jesus the way he had so often proclaimed and professed. So Jesus and his questions are confronting those two lies. And we see, as the scriptures say, the third time that Jesus asks if Peter loves him, that Peter is grieved. It hurt. And he said, 
Do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And in this moment, Jesus responds with what can be seemingly an out-of-place response. He goes on to prophesy Peter's eventual death. Seems a weird way to restore someone. But what is Jesus doing here? Well, in this conversation, Jesus does two things. One, he shows that he still has use for Peter. He is still the rock on which he is going to build his church. So that lie of not being suitable for Jesus is disbanded. And Peter is affirmed as a faithful, necessary follower of Christ. And this following will come at great cost to Peter. In predicting his death and prophesying his death, Jesus is also letting Peter know that he will not make the same mistake again, that he will be faithful, though he had a momentary lapse. Ultimately, he will be faithful to Jesus, even to the point of death. And so in dispelling this truth about these lies about God and these lies about themselves, Peter can now start to walk in truth. Whatever has disoriented you, whatever has caused this grief journey, the invitation when we ask is to enter into conversation with Jesus, confessing our hurts, our questions, and then allowing him to ask us those reaffirming and restoring questions in return. And so take a moment to sit to have conversation with God, speaking out the things that you are feeling, but also listening to what he may be asking, and what he may be saying. And then this is our last phase. As we walk through the steps of renovation, we ended after the truth of God and the truth of self with walking with the lip. See, the things that we've gone through, they don't dissipate. The pain that we have endured, those, those questions we've had to walk through, those dark night of the souls we've, we've traversed through, those things don't ever leave us. They stay with us, but they don't define us. And so we're able to walk forward, but now we kind of walk with the limp. This is the words of Jesus as he says to Peter, Now, follow me. So we enter the phase of yielding. Yielding to God those things that have burdened us. And then in return, receiving his power. One of the ways that we can do this is through observing communion. Communion, from its institution, was a marker and a reminder of the power of God over death. And when we observe communion as a body of believers, what we are testifying is that we believe that death does not have the last word. And so whatever may be killing us, whatever may be disorienting us, when we surrender it to Jesus and we take up the power found in his broken body and shed blood, 
we will find the strength to persevere and endure. As Paul writes in Romans 5, that as we face trials, those trials produce perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And that hope won't put us to shame because the love of God has been poured into our hearts. So as you've moved through this journey, we end here with an invitation to come to the table. So wherever you are, whoever you may be with, those who profess the name of Jesus and consider him Lord, gather the elements, some bread, some wine, the nearest equivalents, and then partake. Leaving those things you wrote down under that pause, leaving them with the Lord and taking in turn his power. I leave you with this, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in remembrance of me. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, my friends, is the gifts of God for the people of God. I hope these phases serve you. I hope these practices enliven you to meet Jesus outside of the confines of Sunday mornings and when the Tuesdays trails and trials come to pass, that you will be able to journey with him into the valley of the shadow of death, fearing no evil, for he is with you. Thanks for listening. We pray that you come back next week as we will return to our normal liturgy. May you go in the peace and love of the Father. <laughs>